Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. It is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Roy Schoenberg, founder and co-CEO of American Well. Roy, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and welcome. Thank you for having me, Patty. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's dive right into this. I can't wait to get to all the stuff that I'd like to explore with you. Well, the first thing, of course, you know, American Well is a leading telehealth company, the pandemics made telehealth and virtual care an integral part of care delivery in the U.S., and we've seen virtual visits skyrocket and more lately fall back a little bit. What I'd love to hear is, you know, could you give us a little bit of the state of the union on telehealth in the United States today? Sure. So, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm assuming that you want the short version, not the long version. Of this, <laughs> but this can be very long, but I think you, you know, you you named it exactly right. The COVID, the pandemic, made a lot of people realize that healthcare can be delivered safely and effectively over technology. Maybe that's the highest way of describing it. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that that statement, while true resonated differently with different audiences and made different impact on different audiences. We have seen a lot of Americans, patients, consumers, members, whatever you want to call them, gravitating towards telehealth because during the pandemic, they couldn't go anywhere. You know, they were not allowed into out of their homes. Nobody wanted to be in an emergency room surrounded by other people. And we've seen that huge, huge increase in adoption of telehealth by the general population. And then I think very, you know, understandably, when things started opening up, the same volume of healthcare needs started kind of being getting more balanced between telehealth and retail clinics and emergency rooms and, and physician offices. It hasn't come down to anywhere near the level pre-pandemic. We still see a much, much higher volume of telehealth, but it has definitely come down, which is understandable. But I think the part that is less reported on and, and one that has much more lasting effect is actually the adoption of telehealth by the clinicians. And, you know, their reason for adopting was very different. Most health systems and offices couldn't see patient volume, couldn't submit claims, and were really in a financial upheaval. So many organizations systematically started shifting a lot of the healthcare they did onto telehealth to kind of restore their ability to do business. And that created a circumstance where a lot of clinicians were exposed to it for the first time and they liked it. So the, the one thing that is really astonishing about the long lasting effect of the pandemic is that the volume of telehealth that we see on our system being carried out by clinicians with their own patients continues to grow. So even though you know things have hopefully subsided, we see that it has crossed that kind of uh, critical moment and now has, you know, people call it viral evolution or viral growth or whatever it is. It has a life of its own. 
And I think we're just at the beginning of understanding how that's going to affect our experience as patients in the future. So do you, do you think we have reached some kind of an equilibrium when it comes to in-person and uh, virtual visits, or are we still in an exploratory stage and we're, we're going to see this play out over a long time? I think we haven't even began to scratch the surface. I think that we have passed a point where people are asking the question, should we be using telehealth? That point is in our rearview mirror. I think we're just at the point of people starting to think, well, if I'm going to use telehealth, how can I utilize it effectively? How can I make life easier for my patients? How can I make it more easy for them to be compliant with the medical regimen that they need? And also, how can I you know, move the needle on cost of healthcare using technology? All of these conversations are now being held but they're at the very, very beginning of their implementation. So I think the world is actually going to change for telehealth much more drastically over the next couple of years, paradoxically, than what it did during the, during the COVID pandemic. Now, for your own company, who have you primarily served? Is it payers? Is it providers? Is it employees? And how has it changed pre to post pandemic? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. So we're we're kind of a little bit of a different animal in Amwell in the sense that we have, you know, for, for all these years, we've actually built more of a platform, more of a technology infrastructure. And the result of that was that we were actually able to do a lot of business in each and every one of these verticals. We, we run telehealth for a lot of the pairs, uh, the national pairs and the regional pairs. We run a lot of telehealth for health systems. And we serve a lot of other institutions, individual clinicians, as well as government and so on. That gave us a, an interesting lens into how things have changed over the last two years, because exactly as you said, the appetite for telehealth, the motivation to do telehealth by those different organizations or kind of vertical has dramatically changed. You know, if historically, and I'll just give you one example, if historically the pairs and pardon me for generalizing, but if historically the pairs were thinking about telehealth as a way to get people to not use emergency rooms, that was kind of the big ticket item. How do you make sure that people have an alternative when they have something wrong with them so they don't have to go to very expensive and uh, you know, overutilized emergency rooms? Today, you know, while this still remains you know, a calling for telehealth from the perspective of the pair or the health plans, they actually think of it much more as an instrument to influence the care that's being rendered to patient at the point of care. This is where things you know that that are named like virtual primary care, virtual PCP, and there's a lot of different names for it. But pairs are beginning to utilize telehealth and the ability of telehealth to incorporate data in real time, because it's a digital platform where care happens is now happening over technology, they can incorporate a lot of their best analytics, a lot of their best network definitions to make sure that the care that being rendered to the patient is much more informed and much more cost effective, which of course has enormous implication on how much they need to spend on insuring those patients. So this is a this is a radical transition in the understanding of what these technologies can do, and it's true for every domain, not only pairs. So when you talk to your customers today, now telehealth 
in the context of a broader digital transformation of care delivery models. Virtual care, virtual consults is one part of it. There's a lot of other things that are going on in terms of organizations transforming themselves to prepare for the future. When you talk to your customers, what are the top two or three things that you hear in the context of this coming digital transformation? Well, I think it it, it does... It is a little different depending on the type of the customer that you talk to, especially if you talk to a pair or you talk to a health system. It's not exactly the same, you know, the same conversation. But I think the general, if I'm looking for for similarities, I would say the general notion is we need to transition a lot of the care that we're involved in to digital platforms. The motivation and the instruments by which this happens are different. When you talk to a health system, it's really more about we need to make this a second language for our clinicians because they're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones prescribing care. We need to make it very easy for them to take advantage of these technologies And you can then peel the onion. It needs to be integrated into their EHRs. It needs to be integrated into their scheduling. Their staff needs to be able to help them interact with patients. They need to be able to move from physical to digital to physical, you know, between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. in the morning and those kind of things. So there's a whole list of derivatives that are driven by health systems urge to make telehealth a channel of care delivery for themselves. When you talk to health plans, it's the same motivation. We want to move as much of the care of our membership into those digital platforms. But to them, it's really more about how do we implement access so that it is top of mind of our membership? How do we make it much easier to consume? How do we, you know, there's so much variability at the consumer level How do we make sure that it will operate cleanly in the same way on any platform that they want to utilize? How do we make sure that the employers that essentially govern the benefits and the communication about benefits to the employees are going to consider this at the very top of their their communication, their message to to their uh, employees? So it's it's very different kind of currency and very different kind of instruments, but they all have one endpoint, which is Healthcare needs to, and people talk about different percentage, 20-25% of all healthcare activity needs to transfer to happen over technology, which if you think about it is still a a, a nimble kind of aspiration if you think that more than 50% of retail has already transitioned into technology. So I've actually heard that number, you know, in fact, the upper end of that number is like more like 80% of all ambulatory visits can, you know, potentially candidates for some kind of a virtual care model. And it doesn't all have to be virtual real-time visits, it could be visits asynchronous, synchronous, and you know, different ways you can skin the cat. You mentioned the aspirational goals of your different market segments, the players versus the providers in particular, but you also actually if I read between the lines, you also mentioned some of the challenges that they have. So provider adoption, obviously, is one challenge that you mentioned. Systems integration, everybody talks about that challenge. Ultimately, you have to have the systems talk to one another for a better experience and also for capturing the encounters for billing and other administrative uh, requirements. And last but not least, the consumers, right? From a payer standpoint, are consumers willing to go with a virtual first kind of a model? So 
if you were to pick any one of them, let's take, you know, for argument's sake, let's just take the providers. What do you think health systems are doing or should be doing in order to make this more of a default mode of operation for the clinician community who are by far the most important stakeholders in patient care? Yeah, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't envy anybody's job of trying to bring change into the way that clinicians practice. It's a very, very tough nut to crack, and not because clinicians are bad people or whatever it is. They're just, there's just so much that they need to do that any learning curve, any variation is, is trouble. I think at the end of the day, and don't get me wrong, I love technology clearly from where I come from, and I believe technology has a huge role to play. I would actually say that the parameter that makes the most difference is leadership, not the technology. Yes, it has to be integrated. It has to be accessible. It has to be predictable and reliable. But at the end of the day, people, and I include clinicians in it, need to subscribe to why would they be taking that effort? Why would they make the change, which is always hard? And at least in our experience, organizations that had leadership that took the time to explain why this is going to be part of the vocabulary, why is this going to be part of the way that we envelope all patients in the future and the sooner that we take advantage of it not only the more modern we'll become but we'll be able to really serve our our mission of giving delivering better health care and, and better hope for people that is sometimes lost when you talk about system integration and apis and all of that kind of stuff and i would say that i still think that it serves a bigger it has a bigger impact than people usually attribute to it. Now, obviously, you are creating a perfect storm because if you do the right thing, if you create clarity for why people should do this, you create expectations. And the expectations are that if I sign up for this, that it will work, that it will be not a hindrance to patient care, that it will be something that doesn't get me to cancel visits because the patient wasn't able to sign in, you know, on the other end or whatever it is. So there's a lot of technology and a lot of work and a lot of detail that you need to go through to live up to the promise, but it comes down to whether people, primarily clinicians, fully take in the huge impact that this is going to have on the life of their patients and as a result on the way that they practice medicine. Yeah. And if you talk to economists, they would tell you that it's also a matter of incentives. And uh, when we talk about incentives, obviously, we need to talk about uh, the reimbursement environment for telehealth, which I'm sure occupies a lot of your attention, uh, given where you are in the marketplace uh, and as Amwell. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. So, again, not, not asking you to forecast where the regulators are going to go with uh, the reimbursement models and so on. How big a factor is it? Are people beginning to uh, overcome any uncertainty related to reimbursements and doing it because it's the right thing to do and because it makes sense for both consumers and clinicians and the organization? Where do you think we are right now? So I think we turned a corner. We turned a corner in the sense that nobody really had a major sense of urgency of changing reimbursement in a meaningful way prior to, to covid and I think now, again, that, that question of whether it needs to be changed is, is behind us. People understand that the new models of reimbursement have to include releasing clinicians to use technology where they think it's for the good of the patient. It's tough because 
it's a whole new language, you know, unlike you know, when CMS is considering a new CPT code or the level of reimbursement for that CPT code or another, which is a very, you know, it's, it's a ritual that they've done over and over and over again for many, many years. This one is a big one. Now you're talking about how the entire practice of medicine can be rendered in completely different care settings. And it really depends on how tech savvy the patient is, which is really not a parameter that is in a medical chart to begin with. So it is a somewhat of a challenge to come up with it, but I would say that if you take a step back, if two years ago we would discuss that question, I would say that it is a strategic challenge for the industry. I want to change the choice of words here, and I think that now it is a tactical challenge for the industry. I have no doubt that within the next three or four or five years, the reimbursement issue is going to be behind us. I think the train has left the station. It is still annoying. It is still confusing. Who knew healthcare was so complicated, as someone said? But I think that the I think the train has left the station. And I think where we're going to end up is like a lot of other things. Clinicians are going to have the choice on the blend between physical and virtual and automated that they can prescribe to a patient based on who the patient is and what they think is right. Let's talk a little bit about Amwell. Amwell's been in the news lately for M&A activity. You, congratulations on the acquisition of Silver Cloud and Conversa. By the way, the Conversa CEO was on my podcast right, yeah, not right. too long ago. Murray, it was a great conversation. So help our listeners understand briefly what was the rationale and what should, importantly, what should your clients or their clients expect next? Yeah, so I think it's actually a very good continuation of, of the conversation we're just having because, you know, as we said, the biggest impact of COVID was a new understanding of where these technologies can help healthcare. It's not the question of if anymore, it's how. And that understanding that it's kosher to use technology to surround patients opened the door to a lot more than just video visits. I think also people, I'm not even talking about clinicians, people now have higher receptivity to the fact that some of their healthcare is going to be done in an office or in a hospital, and some of that healthcare is going to be done through their phone or through their television or whichever one, you know, whichever one they choose. There is a deeper subtlety here that is critically important that ties into the, into the acquisitions, which is we now have the opportunity to completely rethink how we surround patients. And I'm not talking about the transactional people with a flu or a rash or whatever it is, but when we think about the patients that really consume the healthcare dollars, people with chronic conditions, elders, you know, cancer patients, and so on, it is now a legitimate conversation to ask ourselves whether we can surround them more holistically. Maybe we can be present next to them in a much more effective way than physical healthcare allowed, which I'm dumbing it down, but physical healthcare was present next to a patient when they showed up in the office. And then when they left the office, they're on their own with a lot of guidance and prescriptions and everything else, but they were on their own. Technology allows us to rethink the presence of healthcare around patients. We can be there, we can be omnipresent. Now, to be there omnipresent, it's not, you can't just use telehealth visits because at the end of the day, 10 minutes with a physician over WebEx or over Amwell is still 10 minutes with a clinician. 
it really comes to the question of how can technologies interact with the patient more automatically? How can we use AI and NLP and algorithms to be there with a the patient when they wake up in the morning? Maybe there's going to be a, a text message that says, hey, did you take your medications this morning? And what's your pain level? And are you out of bed? And so on and so forth. There's a whole world that opened up for the, for lack of a better word, the automated presence of healthcare around patients that if it is tied correctly to synchronous clinician-based care for the patient can actually be incredibly powerful. Both of the acquisitions that we've made are along those lines. SilverCloud is an infrastructure for automated companionship with patients with behavioral health issues, patients who are depressed, anxious, sleeping disorder, eating disorders, variety of those. And Conversa, and the conversation you had with Mary, Conversa platform is in along those lines is a very powerful automated infrastructure for companionship with patients along the line of medical conditions, patients who are coming in and out of a hospital, patients who have chronic conditions and, and so on, tying to devices, to biometrics and all of that capability. So we now are beginning to form a pretty formidable automated encapsulation of patients who have those kind of conditions, and we're tying it, we're plugging it together with our fairly significant assets by way of virtual interaction with those patients. So if Conversa detects that something is going wrong with that patient, it has the ability to summon up the troop. It's connected to the telehealth of Amwell to bring clinicians in, and we are already connected into the physical world of healthcare through our integration with all of these different health systems and pairs. So there is the promise of complete reimagining of how we approach managing a patient long-term, utilizing the trifecta of physical, virtual, and automated care. That was the reason for the acquisition, and that's the vision. You pretty much described what many chief digital officers are trying to do, which is surround the patient with technology and a seamless experience. There's a second part of it, which uh, tends to be a challenge in most cases. Today, there's literally dozens and dozens of technology platforms that uh, can go into a digital roadmap for you know, CDOs to create the kind of experience that you're talking about. Now, Amwell uh, and some of your competitors maybe are putting together this one-stop shop kind of an experience where you could be the one platform and the one front end for a CDO or a you know or a healthcare executive administrator to deal with, but they still have to do a lot more. They still have to go out and acquire a lot more technology and put it all together. So, in that context, uh, what is your advice for CDOs? Uh, you know, they've got their HR platform. They've got all these, you know, startups, very young startups, innovative yeah. but very young startups at the other extreme, and everything in between. So, what is your advice is to them? I think. There's the advice to the, the, the C-level officers of organization. There's advice to the startups. But I would say that it's somewhat similar. We just have to acknowledge that we're not trying to create another healthcare system. We're trying to connect the different parts and allow the different organizations to do the best they can in the context of that kind of holistic, continuous patient experience. Health plans should continue to be health plans. And health systems and clinicians will continue to be clinicians. The technologies are just going to give them wings. They're going to allow them to spread their wings and be available and deliver to a broader population in a more timely fashion, in a more 
equitable fashion, frankly, and and variety of other challenges that people had from getting healthcare. It's I'm not sure that the the answer is you have to have one system. You know, you have to have an EHR and it and you have to have an interactive telehealth system. And they're both foundational capabilities that you need to have, and they need to speak very fluently with one another. But I think that the the one, maybe if there is one kind of liner that I would say as an advice to all of them is taking the notion that a big part of the way that you care for patients is going to go over technology. And that is inevitable. And the moment that you take a step back and think of the future that way, things will clearly, you will clear in front of you in terms of what are the infrastructures that you need to put in place and how you need to plug them one into the other. Well, obviously, you know, I have to ask about recent uh, newspaper reports about big tech firms that are scaling back. You know, you outline the vision for what is possible, but we're also seeing the other end of the spectrum is these are deep-pocketed big technology companies, you know, Google and Apple in particular, that announced that they were scaling back some of their programs. So what does that say about the nature of the challenge, the nature of the beast? Is healthcare just too hard? tech? No, I think it's different. I think the biggest challenge is, you know, in healthcare, the consumer doesn't know what they're buying. The provider doesn't know what it costs. The health plan who pays for it is nowhere near where care is being rendered. This has so many things that are unlike any other, any other market that if you approach it by saying, hey, I have great technology or great competencies that can play a role in healthcare, that's great, but that doesn't mean that you are the solution. You can be part of the solution. And I'll just say that sometimes when you're a very large company, telling you that you can be part of a solution is not necessarily in line with the way that you view yourself. And I think that is that is sometimes humbling. I think they all have a role to play. I actually think that they'll come and go and come and go and eventually find a way to plug in. But it is an ecosystem. It's not one person's, you know, land grab. That's it. Yeah, that's well said. Oh, we're coming up to the end of our time, and I do have one last question for you. You've been a CISO in the past, so you're very, very familiar with the world of information security. And uh, healthcare is going through a moment in the world of information security, ransomware attacks, and so on and so forth. What's your advice? What is your view of what's going on? What, is it going to get worse before it gets better? What's your advice for uh, CISOs in healthcare? I think I don't want to end with a somber statement, you know, uh, our conversation. I think it's going to get worse simply because of the fact that, you know, so much of healthcare is transitioning into digital channels and healthcare is near and dear to people's livelihood and, and pockets, almost like their bank account. We already know that medical records are worth more in the cyber black market than a credit card number. So I think it's going to get, we're going to see more attacks. We're going to see more people with interest to disrupt and to steal data and everything else. But I think that in some ways, that is not a reason not to do it. It just means that like everything else, you need to be very serious about infrastructure you put in place. And InfoSec and all of its aspects need to be from the floor level of the design of those systems. And they are not a one-time investment. You have to keep reinvesting in them every day that goes by. It's a long, long-term battle with the bad guys. They're not going to go away, so we can't go away. But I think that's 
that's part of life. We just need to accept that. This is this is the way that the, the future holds for us. Fantastic. Well, Roy, I can't appreciate enough your taking the time to talk to me and to talk to our listeners. It's been a fascinating conversation. Once again, uh, congratulations on all the success uh, that you've had and, of course, on the recent acquisitions. Uh, we will be following your uh, company and your progress and all the very, very best to you and your team. Terrific. It's a, it's a true pleasure to be here. Fascinating conversation. Happy to do this anytime as much as you like. Thank you for having me here today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.